welcome to episode 4 of Errors of Continuity, presented by the SLS Cast. Errors of Continuity is a topic-driven podcast geared toward the film industry and featuring in-depth discussion on topics from filmmakers to the movies they make. This episode is part 2 of 3 on the Halloween movie series. Today's episode will cover Halloween 5, The Revenge of Michael Myers from 1989, Halloween, The Curse of Michael Myers from 1995, Halloween H20 from 1998, and Halloween Resurrection, which was released in 2002. Now that we've got that out of the way, welcome cinephiles, and we hope you enjoy the show. Your Errors of Continuity host is Tim from the SLS cast. I, of course, am Tim. Joining the conversation today from Space City, Texas, and the unauthorized Cinnamon Podcast is a fellow cinephile and horror connoisseur, Harry J. Perales. How are you doing, Harry? I'm doing all right. How are you doing, Tim? Good, good, good. So what is the unauthorized Cinnamon Podcast? Um, it's a podcast, uh, strictly about Deadwood. We go through, uh, it's kind of like a study guide for Deadwood in a way, where we go through every episode and we talk about the background of the making of it, and also, but mostly just like, kind of like a close reading of every episode, and just about the characters that, you know, in the show that me and my co-host Daniel Herman really, really love. Cool. It's just kind of like a love letter to, uh... Uh, one of the greatest shows ever. And then you can find the Unauthorized Cinnamon Podcast on the Mockingbird Network. Uh, I think last week I called it Mocking Jay Network, and I guess that shows you <laughs> <laughs> where I'm at. But go to Mockingbird Network, not Mocking Jay. On the last episode of Errors of Continuity, Harry and I discussed the first four flicks in the original Halloween film franchise, as well as their backstories, influences, and Deborah Hill and John Carpenter's fluctuating involvement with the series thus far, and how the quality and substance of each of those flicks changed over the course of a decade with the release of John Carpenter's Halloween jump-starting the slasher genre in 1978, and ending with the release of 1988's Halloween 4, The Return of Michael Myers, which of course substituted strong characters and intellectual storytelling with gags, commercialism, and 80s genre stereotypes. On this episode 4, in addition to reviewing and comparing... Halloween 5 through 8, we'll also be discussing the return of Donald Pleasance as Dr. Sam Loomis in Halloween 5 and 6, Danielle Harris as Jamie Lloyd, who is, of course, Laurie Strode's daughter and Michael Myers' niece in Halloween 5, but was recast in Halloween 6, and Paul Rudd in Halloween 6. That is right, Paul Rudd is indeed in Halloween 6. And we'll also be chatting about the -the behind-the-scenes shenanigans and much, much more. At least I hope there will be much, much more than talking about Paul Rudd in Halloween 6. You see, the sexual liberation and suburban terror was a fresh draw for audiences in the 1970s. Uh, This could be seen in the film Shivers by David Cronenberg and the Stepford Wives. But the 1980s quickly saw a change in horror moviegoers' taste. 
Teenagers were spending more money, more money than ever before at the movie theater. And they wanted to see more chicks, more sex, more blood, and more gore. Therefore, the other two popular franchises at the time, A Nightmare on Elm Street and Friday the 13th, doubled down on their explicit content, which rightfully earned those films their hard R rating. As we noted last week, the first three Halloween flicks that came out in the 1980s kept the blood, gore, and sex, for the most part, scaled back. In 1988's Halloween 4, The Return of Michael Myers, we find the franchise returning to its roots, taking place in Haddonfield, Illinois, where Laurie Strode died in a fatal car crash, leaving behind a daughter by the name of Jamie Lloyd. I think she uh, she's 10 years old who is now living with the Foster family. The film begins with Michael Myers, who managed to survive the hospital fire from Halloween 2, suddenly awakens from a 10-year coma. By now we know that nothing will keep Michael from slicing and dicing members of his family, which makes his sole motivation in Part 4, which is to track down and kill his niece, somewhat plausible, and I think we can kind of get behind that. The film draws to an end with various innocents being murdered and police opening fire on Michael Myers, sending him falling down a mineshaft. Of course, this is before he touches skin with Jamie. The final scene in part four features Jamie supposedly now assuming the spirit of Michael Myers after being found wearing a clown mask and costume, holding a blood-stained pair of scissors that she used to stab her foster mother. And this, of course, didn't sit too well with a lot of fans. People were worried again that Michael Myers may not return to the franchise, that they pulled another Halloween 3 on their fan base. But Halloween 5 proves that that was not the case. Sheriff, they want you down at the cemetery. Today in the cemetery, Somebody dug up a coffin. It was a coffin of a nine-year-old girl. You've come back to us, Mark. When are they going to realize that she is not him, she's just a child? They know that Michael Myers is her uncle and that she attacks her stepmother. That's why they fear her. Especially on Halloween. You're afraid. You're afraid the whole thing might start to happen again. How many people did he kill last year? Have you forgotten? But you never looked into his face, did you? You never saw his eyes. You never saw that nothing, no expression, blank. My memory goes back 12 years. I prayed that he would burn in hell. But in my heart, I knew that hell would not have him. Michael Myers is outside. The National Guard will take him to a maximum security facility. But he'll stay till the day he dies. Never die. We both know he's alive. But you know where he is. Halloween 5. This time, they're ready. This time, he's unmasked. 
And this time, he's back with a vengeance. Halloween 5, The Revenge of Michael Myers. Harry, what can you tell us about The Revenge of Michael Myers? Uh, well, the film opens up basically where uh, 4 ends, but it, it gives you a little more showing. Uh, whereas we saw, you know, Michael Myers fall into that uh, mine shaft or whatever. He actually manages to escape and uh, goes on a uh, a river until he's found by somebody and kind of uh, nursed in a sense uh, really similar to uh, that scene in uh, Bride of Frankenstein where the old blind man helps out uh, Frankenstein. Or was he blind in uh, Bride of Frankenstein, or was that just in Young Frankenstein where he was blind? You know what's hilarious? I can only think of Gene Hackman, so... (laughs) (laughs) But something tells me he was probably blind. Okay, yeah, because I always get those mixed up anyway. But, uh, so Michael Myers has survived, and we also see that Jamie's... We hear that Jamie's foster parents have survived, too, that she just attacked them... I, I think that's correct, right? Didn't they say in the beginning, like, she attacked her and she got cut or something? Yeah, and they were, like, on some long vacation or something to get away from the maniac yeah. child. Right. And uh, so now Jamie is living in a uh, hos- a children's hospital, and she has uh, been rendered mute by the whole situation. But she begins having visions where she, because she... Uh, touched hands with uh, Michael Myers. There's some kind of E.T. and Elliot uh, psychic connection, so she can see murders as they happen through Michael Myers' eyes. And she has this chalkboard where she says he's coming, you know. And uh, sure enough, he is coming for Jamie. And uh, that's pretty much the thrust of the movie. I mean, there's a lot of teen... There's a lot of... uh, teenagers who get killed and who go to parties and play pranks on each other and we just follow jamie as she uh once again young poor uh danielle harris as a nine-year-old is subjected to really awful things in the in the name of schlock as a jamie lloyd but they sure as shit had a fun time (laughs) making this movie it seemed like you think yeah i don't know (laughs) (laughs) it it, this movie kind of feels like it was like uh it feels like all those projects i had before the when i had a project due the day before or the day like working on a project the day before it was like oh shit we got a deadline and so just everything feels super rushed in this movie this is probably the most where you when you think of halloween you think of whether or not you know it's true or not but you think of like this precision of craft and even though that's not totally true you you see like oh this is well shot there is this excellent craftsmanship on display on the part of john carpenter there's none of that in five there (laughs) there are shots that don't cut together consistently in this movie well it wouldn't make sense that this movie was rushed in a production somebody is quoted as to saying something like they were they were still drunk off the success of filming or finishing up halloween 4 that they just Mm -hmm. stumbled into making this movie and they started shooting without a script because the first draft of the script written by shem bitterman he apparently had this idea that jamie lloyd she would be evil she would be the evil bad guy person you know because she inherited the spirit of michael myers and in fact donald pleasance apparently 
was all in on it. Like, he believed that that is the direction this franchise should take. But it was Akkad and, I I guess, the director, the French director, Dominique Othenin, Othenin, Othenin Girard, a very artsy name for a very artsy director, decided, no, people want to, audiences want to see more of the shape, which is probably true. But what we get instead is still kind of more of the same. But at the same time, they began shooting this movie or began production without a script. So it allowed for a lot of changes along the way and a lot of random stuff being put into the movie. And they didn't even bring back the creative team either from any of the other movies. (laughs) Isn't it obvious that this is a result of there being too many cooks in the kitchen? Yeah, definitely. Well, I don't I don't know about too many cooks. I just think that there's too many cooks and no head chef. That's what it kind of feels like. It's just like they got shots where they could. And again, I could be totally wrong, but just, just watching it for the first time, because, you know, I watched it for the first time for this podcast, and it actually made me miss some of the craftsmanship of the fourth one. <laughs> if I can... If I'm not being too facetious or facetious, but um, yeah, it really just felt like they were really trying to make a date or, you know, like a exactly one year after the release of Halloween four. And which is kind of interesting. It was kind of neat how they managed to do that. There's kind of something to admire about it where it, it, it does look like those like, um, you know, for a while, you know, the camera is just, it feels like it's handheld, but it, with like this fisheye lens, it feels like like an early Peter Jackson movie or something. Where this this kind of like, um, kind of carefree, like, oh, we can do whatever, let's do whatever we want. You know, this doesn't have to make sense. Let's, you know, have two scenes in a row where somebody falsely scares somebody before we actually have somebody murdered. And let's play that same gag over and over again. Yeah, it definitely does have more of a repetitive feeling to it. Just right off the bat, I think this movie rubbed me the wrong way because, again, he falls down the mine shaft after getting shot by the police. And, you know, like, you can tell they were hoping to keep him dead. It's never solidified, so it was still kind of always up in the air for future installments he can come back. But how he escapes, he, like, takes a, like, a theme park rapid wild river ride. <laughs> Through, through a damn yeah. mine. That's one thing I don't get. All of a sudden, he falls down, and he's, like, riding these rapids, and that's when the Halloween John Carpenter music actually, not John Carpenter playing the music, but his theme comes in. So you hear this creepy Halloween theme music, and there goes Michael Myers traveling down the river, and looks like he's having a blast. But really, I'm sure the guy who's playing him is fighting for his life, trying not to suffocate. <laughs> Under that mask just being filled with water. God. I think what this movie does introduce... I don't know if you want to jump into this already, but uh, it introduces the kind of mystical element of... It uh, just hints at it. it. It Almost like it kind of telegraphs it by, you know, oh, we'll, we'll figure it out later with the whole uh, thorn thing. Basically, it looks like the Undertaker walking around. Oh, the man in black. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the man in black wearing cowboy boots and... I, I remember watching it just like, oh my god, please let this be The Undertaker. 
Yeah, I was hoping it was going to, like, reveal some, like, crazy great famous actor, like Christopher Plummer. Or they or they do, they go, like, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre Part 2 route and have it, like, you know, Dennis Hopper is this person chasing Leatherface or chasing the family. And that Man in Black character is a result of coming up with shit on a whim on the set. Yeah. It was the director who saw that. Apparently, when they were shooting in this town... Forget if they were in Canada or, or or where I know for part six, they shot that in Salt Lake City. But whenever they were shooting, the neighborhood would crowd around and watch them film. And apparently this one guy would always show up and he would be dressed like that. And so the director <laughs> kept noticing him and he thought, we need that guy in this movie. Not the actual actor himself, but, you know, that, that presence. They wanted that presence. And so that's why you have the random guy walking around. At the end of the movie, when Michael Myers gets arrested, he's the one that either bails him out. See, the thing is, like, people say that Michael Myers gets bailed out, but you get the impression that the man in black is this mystical character, a warlock or some shit like that, because the camera just does his pan over, and suddenly Michael Myers is mystically you know, vanished into thin air. So, ooh, something mysterious and sinister is going on. But really, what you find out in the next movie, it's just some doctor. Like, it's some guy. Like, it's not really anything magical. It's another shape, but it's nowhere near as interesting as the Michael Myers shape. Because all we have is shots of his boots walking with the metal plate on the tip of his boots, just so, like, we know who this character... So we don't get him confused with another cowboy-dressed guy walking around <laughs> in the middle of the night, you know, in the in the town of Haddonfield, Illinois. Another thing to mention is the music. This movie, for whatever reason, introduces cartoon music, you know, with the toy horn honks. You have the, the bumbling cop idiots who are there, and the director wanted their, wanted cartoon corny music. Were you a fan of that at all? Did you think, oh, what this series really needed was two <laughs> bumbling moronic cops with goofy, cartoony, toy horn music? I don't think I really paid that much attention to it when I was watching it, but I did read somewhere else, and it kind of, I don't think it excuses it, but um, supposedly that was a nod to The Last House on the Left. Where, uh, if you've seen that movie, there's a whole subsection of, or the, this whole subplot of these, like, police officers trying to get to, uh, where the eventual, or trying to, you know, be on the case of these, you know, hitchhiker killers. And, uh, you know, there's all this zany, like, they end up in the back of a chicken coop, and, you know, there's, supposedly that was a reference to, you know, that, portion of the last house on the left but um i mean it's it's not any worse or any better than really what horror movies were how horror movies were portraying cops and other kind of slasher movies at the time right at least we see cops in this franchise law enforcement is actually present in a civilian town so this movie came out on october 13th 1989 with a budget of five million dollars it grossed 11.6 million it wasn't as much of a success as halloween 4 was the director again dominique othinen girard who went on to do uh the omen the awakening tv movie we all know how successful and memorable that film was he wanted to introduce 
artsy techniques or artsier techniques. And when I think of a movie within the Halloween franchise that has like artsy techniques to it, I always think of John Carpenter's Halloween or even Halloween 2 or Halloween 3 to a lesser degree. To me, it seems like because they jumped in with no script, he just kept saying, we need to make this girl mute because it'll be, it has more of an impact on the character and the characters around her and the story itself. If she cannot speak, it's more dramatic. And when Michael is coming after her again, she has no choice but to run away and not talk until the very end when suddenly she can speak. And I felt very sorry for little Jamie because she's a very talented young actress. And even given what she had to work with, she managed to do pretty damn well. In fact, the driving force behind this entire movie was her performance. And I think it says a lot because she doesn't really say anything until the very end. Well, it's not quite the very end. I think it's like maybe the last... It's not until the last act or something when she starts to speak, but, uh, but yeah, like that, and that's, that's usually what kind of, that's the kind of thing that actors, you know, seem to want in franchises to do something different. And so this little, this little girl getting this opportunity to, you know, play Jamie a different way is kind of something that not many actors or actresses in the horror franchises get to do. They kind of have to play the same kind of character over and over again where i was kind of surprised where i was like oh okay this is kind of interesting where you know she is a mute now and she has to kind of do an entire different kind of acting for the majority of the movie and what we see now with this film more so than any of the others we talked in some depth about michael myers becoming a pop culture icon and pandering to the audience and we see that a lot more now because now michael myers teases his victims whereas before he would kill them and in one occasion at least one occasion admire the kill 38 minutes into the movie he teases it's weird there were so many little things in the movie that made just just the notion of like the way that donald pleasance is playing dr sam loomis at this point where he's just this like really unhappy old man just like bumming around this children's hospital anytime like jamie goes nuts and all he does is basically run in and tell them not to help her like that's kind of what dr loomis is kind of resorted to yeah and he's angry as shit (laughs) yeah you sense something don't you tell me tell me what you know right 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 Right, what you know. Jenny, please. Please. Yeah, I, I left a lot at uh, scenes where I'm like, you do realize she's like nine years old, or she's like ten years old. Like, Why are you just as threatening as Michael Myers would be <laughs> this one day of the year? you got to help me, Jamie. you got to help me to find him. We both know he's alive. But you know where he is. Why? Why are you protecting him? What about your stepmother, Jamie? You love her, don't you? He made you stab her. You can't hide from him. 
It always get to you. Jamie, Jamie, this today in the cemetery. Somebody dug up a coffin. It was a coffin of a nine-year-old girl. What do you think he's going to do with that? Huh? You're nine years old, aren't you, Jamie? And Dr. Loomis, leave the little girl alone. Right, and in some way, that's supposed to play into the next movie, mm-hmm. where I don't know if he knew that which is possibly why he decided to keep making you know agreeing to be in these movies because he knew that his character could eventually become the watcher or the thorn character the man in black character for the next iteration of michael myers or whatever because that's the direction this movie was supposed to be taking right the tattoo the thorn tattoo apparently the old man who takes michael myers into his care was like a witch doctor or something like that and he's the one the witch doctor was the one who in, who imprints that tattoo on michael myers and mm-hmm. what that tattoo is supposed to represent is a curse so michael myers from then on is cursed to kill everybody in his family and only then is when the curse will be lifted and he will be free but then that curse will move on to somebody else. And in this movie, little Jamie befriends this little boy who has this crazy stutter named David. I think his name is David. No, no, no. His name is Billy. His name is Billy. Billy? Who's yeah. the David character? Uh, who is the David character? Am I right? What was Paul? Oh, shit. What's Paul Rudd's character? Tommy. From, oh, he's uh, Tommy. Yeah, he's the grown-up Tommy. Okay, well, apparently somebody... So when Michael Myers gets killed, his spirit goes to somebody else. And that's how they were going to continue on the franchise, I guess. The next person... I thought it was somebody by the name of David, but maybe it was Billy. I I mean, I'm not sure. I can't remember at this point. Yeah. I don't even know if it's really worth it at this point. <laughs> <laughs> but it's supposed to be... It's supposed to go on to somebody else. Um, but we'll get more into that uh, when we discuss part six. So yeah, that shot with the old man doing the witchcraft and planting that tattoo, that was ultimately reshot with the old hermit guy who finds Michael Myers, uh, who may or may not be blind at this point. (laughs) But what did you think about the ending where Michael doesn't die at the hands of Dr. Loomis? Because Dr. Loomis sort of loses his shit and becomes a fucking badass and Uh fights him. He doesn't die at the hands of Dr. Loomis. Instead, he goes to jail and... He's sitting in jail like a mopey sourpuss, really, <laughs> on a bench with, with no guards. Like, there's nobody there. That's the crazy thing. The man in black walks in and he suddenly vanishes. Michael Myers does. Yeah. Did that work for you or did it just feel cheap? That's kind of a hard to complaint to have with these movies at this point. Fair so, enough. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, because I'm only watching it knowing that there's three more movies to go in the set. So at the time, I would probably have felt cheated, I think. Or I would have been like, you know, we just watched one clip. Like, it's just going to keep going this way. But you can see the kind of desperation to kind of keep this character alive. It's like The Walking Dead. It's a cliffhanger every mid-season. Yeah. It's a freaking cliffhanger. Every end of the season, it's a cliffhanger. To a lesser extent, of course. Right. Every legend is based on fact. Every myth 
is grounded in truth. For 17 years, the town of Haddonfield, Illinois, has been haunted by a night when evil roamed the streets and a madman ruled the night. Everyone knows his name. Now, everyone will know the truth. I knew what he was, but I never knew why. Halloween 6, the origin of Michael Myers. We're going to jump six years into the future where we get Halloween, The Curse of Michael Myers, starring Paul Rudd as Tommy. And if Tommy is the young boy who first witnesses or sees Michael Myers in John Carpenter's Halloween. When Michael Myers was six years old, he stabbed his sister to death. For years, he was locked up in Smith's Grove Sanitarium. But he escaped. And suddenly, Halloween became another word for mayhem. One by one, he killed his entire family until his nine-year-old niece, Jamie Lloyd, was the only one left alive. Six years ago, Halloween night, Michael and Jamie vanished. Many people believe them dead, but I think that someone hid them away. Someone who keeps Michael, protects him, tries to control him. And if there's one thing I know, you can't control evil. You can lock it up, you can burn it and bury it and pray that it dies, but it never will. It just rests a while. You can lock your doors and say your prayers at night. But the evil's out there, waiting. And maybe, just maybe, it's closer than you think. This one came out on September 29th, 1996, on a budget of $6 million, directed by Joe Chappelle. Apparently, this one was supposed to be gorier and grittier. This, too, did not stick to its script. Well, actually, it had a script. It just didn't stick to the original script. Due to all this interference from the director and the producer and the studios, we had not only just a theatrical cut, which turned out to be a mess, uh, which, unfortunately, is the only cut Harry and I watched, (laughs) (laughs) but we do have a producer's and director's cut. The producer's cut is widely available. The director's cut, you can find a bootleg of it online. Apparently, the director's cut has all of the NC-17 rated material included. Harry, what can you tell us about The Curse of Michael Myers? Why was there a six-year wait in between? Well, uh, I think I read somewhere about it that uh, Mustafa Akkad wasn't really happy with the direction that 5 went, and it didn't really make that much money, and it was kind of at the end of that kind of serial killer movie craze, like uh, Nightmare on Elm Street and Friday the 13th that kind of, you know, had diminishing returns at this point. And, uh, you know, it was just kind of a thing that kind of lapsed from, like, rights holders and went back and forth. During this time, Harvey and Bob Weinstein had uh, created Miramax, and Bob Weinstein had created a kind of subset 
uh, specializing in genre movies and horror movies called Dimension Films. And so they picked up the rights to several properties like uh, Hellraiser and Children of the Corn and the Halloween franchise. This is kind of the start of, I guess what I kind of see is the Dimension Films. This is before the kind of uh, Dimension Films and Kevin Williamson influence on horror that we'll see in the next movie. But this is more the, you know, when I remember seeing the trailer to this, it was before uh, my videotape copy of From Dust Till Dawn. Where I saw, I think I saw the trailer to this and the Children of the Corn movie with Naomi Watts in it. Yeah, it was just a matter of, like, rights and, hey, we have this property, let's do something with it. And with that mentality, they made this flick. It follows, uh, well, actually, it begins with an older Jamie. She's supposed to be 18 years old now. They didn't bring on the original actress, Danielle Harris, because, well, she was 17 years old. And what happened was that she had to get, or she had to become emancipated because she was 17. Ultimately, they replaced her with J.C. Brandy because they wanted to be able to pay somebody not as much money. I guess casting Danielle Harris meant that they would have to pay her a larger sum because she was in the first or the two previous films. Therefore, she has a cult following, a somewhat of a fan base, and she could have demanded more money. But J.C. Brandy shows up for the first, it's not even 10 minutes, I don't think it's even 5 minutes really, of the movie where it's a, it's a cult that's happening. And it's apparently the cult where the man in black is from or belongs to, and she's having this baby, there's a shitload of candles all over the place, and <laughs> stuff drawn on the walls, and I mean, it's pretty brutal Brutal situation, a very uncomfortable situation, I guess. And she has this child. And I don't think it really matters what the child's name is because nobody from this franchise's appears ever again <laughs> in any of the other films that follow. So pretty much The Curse of Michael Myers is the film that killed the original line of films. I only noticed this because I, I rewatched it in the past few months, but the opening is really similar to Willow. No, sh I, you know, I didn't actually think about that. <laughs> I'm sure there's a lot of other movies with openings like that, but I was watching, I was like, oh man, this is, this is a lot like Willow. Because Willow opens kind of dark. Willow! But yeah, um, oh, I'm sorry, where, where were you going with it? I'm sorry. Oh no, I'm, I'm actually trying to remember what, what the story is. I'm I'm trying to think back because I didn't write any plot notes for the... Oh, actually, you know what? I do have this. So this is how, like, I, I, I don't really remember what this movie was about. So I there's a thing called Wikipedia. <laughs> <laughs> and I was trying to remember what this movie was about earlier during my lunch break. So I was kind of right. I was typing some notes out and I realized, damn, I can't remember. Other than that Paul Rudd is in it and he finds a baby in the cupboard of a really dingy old house. Literally, he finds a baby, not in a old house, but he finds a baby in a, shit, is it a train station or a police station or? No, it's like a, it's like a train station, I think. Yeah, in the bathroom. He found yeah. it in a shitty bathroom of a train station <laughs> in the late morning and nobody noticed this child. It must be the quietest. In fact, I don't know if this child can speak either. Maybe it's the Strode curse of being put through so much trauma due to a fucking Celtic cult that you, you're rendered speechless. <laughs> also, uh, the baby was at the end of a trail of blood. 
that uh, Paul Rudd followed into the bathroom. That nobody noticed. No commuter <laughs> in the mid-90s when anybody could have noticed this. There's a lot of stuff like that. I mean, this is nearly 20 years since the first film. And Paul Rudd's character, there's something psychologically wrong with him. He's super obsessed with Michael Myers, the whole lore of Michael Myers, because of what he witnessed. They really don't talk about what's wrong with him, per se, but you get the idea that he he's a little nutty. I mean, shit, he takes pictures of people and pins those pictures all over his freaking house. And also, he lives in a yeah. home, not in a home, but in a care home, right? Is that what it is? Like a, it's like a care home or like a halfway house or something. I'm not, I wasn't exactly sure what it was. But I know that I know there's like other older crazy people that live there too. Right. So I'm going to quickly read through this Wikipedia plot because a lot of stuff happened in this movie, which surprised me because I didn't think I'd have to go back and rewatch this movie three times to get what direction they were trying to take this movie towards. So the, the movie opens October 31st, 1989. Michael Myers and his niece, Jamie Lloyd. Danielle Harris are abducted from the Haddonfield Police Station. On October 30th, 1995, Jamie, played by J.C. Bradley, has been impregnated and her baby is born. And a lot of people are wondering, who the fuck impregnated her? It might have been Michael Myers. And that's pretty creepy. So she's been impregnated and her baby is born, being taken away by the man in black, the leader of a druid-like cult, later a midwife helps Jamie escape with her baby and is soon killed by Michael. Jamie and her baby flee in a stolen pickup truck, stopping briefly at a deserted bus station. Jamie makes a call to a Haddonfield radio station to warn them that Michael is about to return home, only to be ignored by the radio DJ Barry Sims. (laughs) This is more detailed than I cared for it to be. (laughs) I forgot about the whole shock jock element to it. (laughs) <laughs> and uh, meanwhile, the retired Dr. Sam Loomis, yes, he's finally retired, is visited by his friend Dr. Terrence Wynn. Oh, did I tell you? <laughs> that was one of my favorite parts in the whole movie, was when we're shown Dr. Loomis, and he basically breaks the fourth wall to tell us, like, no, but I'm really retired. Myers was not killed in that explosion at the Haddonfield Police Station. The CIA abducted Myers from his cell and killed everyone to cover up their tracks. Now, why did they do that? obvious they wanted the ultimate assassin Myers is now on the government payroll no one controls Michael Myers not even the CIA he took out eight agents while they had him at Langley they couldn't control him so they packed him up in a rocket and shipped him off to space thank you you don't want to hear the facts man that's the situation is that the CIA Michael Myers in space come on next Barry what happened to that psychiatrist of his Loomis I heard the old quack was dead not dead just very much retired and he gives a little wink and a nod yeah to the audience (laughs) so he has this conversation with dr terrence Wynn, who is the administrator at the sanitarium where michael was when he was a kid um when asks loomis to return to smith's grove they overhear jamie's plea for help on the local radio station i want you to come back to smith's grove You should know that it's not wise to play Halloween pranks on me. It's no prank. You're the one I've chosen, Sam. I want you to come back. I've buried the ghosts. I've buried them in this this manuscript. I don't want to practice medicine anymore. They're coming. They're coming. They're coming. They're coming. Don't tell me. 
Later, Michael finds Jamie and she crashes the truck into an old barn. Jamie dies at the hands of Michael. Great. Took two movies of building up this damn character to jump seven years to watching her die ten minutes into this film. And then back in Haddonfield, Tommy Doyle, played by Paul Rudd, whom Laurie Strode babysat in 1978, now lives in a boarding house run by Miss Blankenship. The family living in the Myers house across the street are relatives of the Strode family, Kara Strode, her six-year-old son Danny, her teenage brother Tim, caring mother Deborah, and abusive father John. Oh, I fucking hate that guy. John? Oh, he's so bad, yeah. Doesn't show her face around her own family for five years, then comes back and expects us to roll out the red carpet. You think going to college is going to make a few mistakes, girl? Huh? Please. Lay off her, Dad. Let's go, Danny. Carol, wait, please. John, can't we just sit down for once and try to be a family? Sorry, Mom. Oh, yeah, that's it, Deborah. Just keep slipping her the cash. You know, while you're at it, I got a great idea. Here. Here, why don't you give her all of our goddamn money? Why don't you leave her alone? Nothing ever changes, does it? You're gonna wake up. I got news for you, girl. Before you came around, everything was going fine. Till you landed on our doorstep. You and that little bastard here. I see only one bastard in this house. Get away from her. You shut up and stay out of this. John, please don't. You ever talk to me like that again. And so help me, God. You understand? Oh, I hate the that actor or the character. Oh, I'm sure the actor's fine. The character. Oh, I hated that guy. Oh, and that's apparently another thing that's that got cut out. I mean, there's more. There was some like abusive element to his character as well, sexually abusive towards his daughter. Ever since seeing Michael as a child, Paul Rudd or Tommy has been obsessed with finding the truth behind his motives. He finds Jamie's baby at the bus station. Yes, that elusive scene taking him into his care and names him Steven. Okay. <laughs> it's like you found a, a, a sad, lonely dog. You had to name him Steven. <laughs> Tommy runs into Dr. Loomis and tells him about the Strode family living in the Myers house. Dr. Loomis? Yeah. Dr. Loomis. Thank God you're here. I'm sorry. I, I don't know you, do I? I'm Tommy. Tommy Doyle. Lori Strode, Jamie's mother, who's babysitting me the night when... Tommy Doyle. <laughs> what are you doing here? Please. I need to know the truth. You heard her last night, didn't you? Michael's come home, hasn't he? She is the last of his bloodline. No, Dr. Loomis. She's not the last. <laughs> oh, God. There's a family, relatives of the people who adopted Lori, the Strodes. They're living in the Myers house. Dr. Loomis, about Michael. It's just a theory of mine. The two believe Michael has returned to Haddonfield. Michael enters his home and kills Deborah. Later, Tommy, Kara, and Danny go to the boarding house where Tommy reveals that he believes Michael has been inflicted with Thorn, an ancient druid curse. Yes, long ago, one child from each tribe chosen to bear the curse of Thorn must sacrifice its next of kin on the night of Samhain, 
or Halloween. What I really like is how they, because this whole movie's trying to tie together. It's it, it's doing its damnedest to tie together all of these movies in the series, and it even kind of has a little nod to three, with the whole Samhain ritual and everything, and how it's a Celtic sign and everything. But this time they didn't steal. A piece of Stonehenge. <laughs> no, they didn't. <laughs> they didn't go full James Bond bad guy. Yeah. So this tribe, apparently whoever bears that curse, must sacrifice its next of kin on the night of Halloween. Tommy believes that Stephen will be Michael's final sacrifice. Yes, yeah, Stephen, the son of Jamie. While Tommy goes out to look for Dr. Loomis, Miss Blankenship reveals to Kara that she was babysitting Michael the night he killed his sister. And that Danny is hearing a voice telling him to kill just like Michael did, indicating Danny also possesses the power of Thorn. Which is funny, because when I said David earlier is going to become the next Michael, I actually meant Danny. <laughs> yeah. So it's this Danny character that was supposed to become the next Michael. Meanwhile, Michael kills John, Tim, Tim's girlfriend Beth, and Barry Sims. After Tommy returns home with Loomis, the man in black reveals himself to be Wynn. The cult take Kara, Danny, Stephen, and Michael to Smith's Grove. There, Loomis confronts Wynn, who reveals he wants to control and study the power of Thorn. Tommy finds and frees Kara, Danny, and Stephen while Michael kills Wynn and his staff. Tommy, Kara, and the children flee from Michael and hide in a laboratory. When Michael breaks into the room, Tommy injects him with a corrosive liquid and beats him unconscious with a lead pipe. As Tommy, Kara, Danny, and Steven leave, uh, Loomis... There's not much left, guys, I promise. <laughs> Loomis says that he has a little business to attend to, apparently. Come with us. I have a little business to attend to here. Back inside the building, Michael's mask is lying on the floor of the lab room, and Loomis is heard screaming in the background, leaving the fate of both characters unknown. Well, we know the fate, really, because Michael is in the police station, and the man in black comes in and takes him. Oh, no, fuck, I'm getting that confused with the last movie. Yeah. <laughs> God dang. I was like, did that happen again? I Yeah, no, see... It's the curse of this movie. Maybe it's the curse of Thorn. Like, whoever watches this movie has succumbed to a Celtic curse of some kind. But yeah, so that's the end of the movie. Mm -hmm. This original franchise. You don't know what happens. There is no ending. What happened to Loomis? What happened to Michael Myers? Well, really, Donald Pleasance died. I guess we can assume he went off as well. But as a result of the curse of Michael Myers, what happened? to the franchise harry what happened not a lot it doesn't seem like because uh this was right before it was able to kind of shoehorn itself into that whole this is before scream so people were kind of sick of these movies at that point i, I think the only one that really had that made kind of a slight impact was probably west craven's new nightmare and that was when west craven was able to get kind of meta on his character then you see him going to an even further degree with that by being meta with the whole serial killer genre in Scream. But uh, Michael Myers is still stuck in this kind of, you know, okay, we got to get this franchise going. We got to get this character back and, you know, profitable. But it just didn't make very much money. It wasn't a very big success. Had Scream not been a success, I don't know if there would have been a Halloween H2O. And at this time, it seemed like the Weinsteins... 
I mean, the wine scenes made Scream. Yes, yeah. So that was their next success. That makes a lot of sense, seeing how nothing really substantial came out of the Halloween franchise when Scream came out, because Scream kind of dominated the horror pop culture for a while. But do you think, like, they actually cared about the Halloween franchise? The Weinsteins? Uh, I really don't think so. I, well, that's hard to say. I think uh, they probably do to an extent, because Harvey Weinstein, I don't know if it's his only movie credit, but at least his first movie credit as a director was The Burning, which is, you know, a Halloween ripoff, a Friday the 13th ripoff. So I don't know. I read somewhere that either... Six or seven was supposed to be produced, or at some point, like, Tarantino had interest in producing it with uh, Scott Spiegel directing it. And so I'm sure that, like, they knew that it was important, but I don't know if they really knew what to do with it. I'm sure that they kind of had in mind a more direct-to-video success for it. The movies that Dimension was releasing was, like, The Prophecy and The Crow and... Stuff that, you know, really found its life on uh, home video. And all those were significantly better movies, too. (laughs) Yeah. It's kind of weird. If it was made by a different studio, it would have been kind of easier to pinpoint how they felt about it. But, you know, it was was just a sequel to Halloween, a property that they had. So, again, and I haven't read, I haven't, I, I couldn't really find anything in depth of the Weinsteins with the Halloween franchise. As mentioned before, the ending of The Curse of Michael Myers was supposed to be different. Dr. Loomis was supposed to become the Man in Black Thorn character with, I guess, Michael killing off people in the... Well, no, no, no. I I guess Michael wasn't going to kill everybody off, but Dr. Loomis was going to become the Man in Black character, and he was going to be the watcher of Michael Myers, I guess, to keep him in line, I suppose. So maybe all that anger was building towards him turning bad. What do you think he's going to do with that? Of course, you can go and check out the producer's cut. Within that producer's cut, you will find, according to Wikipedia again, longer scenes in several parts of the movie, different music. Some significant plot points are different. For example, in the producer's cut, Jamie Lloyd is not killed by Michael's attack within the barn. She is only killed later on in the film by the man in black after having a dream about how she was imprisoned in Smith's Grove. In the producer's cut, Jamie's child is revealed to be the inbred son of Michael Myers. Oh, Lord. Yeah, I know. So everybody speculated, could that have been M.M.'s son? And the answer is yes, that was indeed the plan. There was also a flashback to Halloween 5 that shows Jamie and Michael kidnapped by the Men in Black. So those are some of the substantial changes, differences, additions, I guess, you will find if you check out the producer's cut. In fact, tonight I might actually go and watch the producer's cut because (laughs) this sounds much more exciting and entertaining and shocking, I suppose, than the original film. And I was watching another video of people talking about the history of this film and there was a scene where i i don't know if it was in the director's cut or not but i had mentioned that the director's cut features more gore more gratuitous violence and i think even gratuitous nudity as well or just gratuitous nudity as well because i don't think this one really has any nudity that i can think of but um i think it's a little bit is there a little bit okay. yeah, yeah well i think in this one 
somebody... It's not Jamie. Actually, no, it might be Jamie. Because I, I think in the flashback, when the cult has Jamie, I think she's she's much older. But the cult has her hung up. Don't quote me on this, but I think she is buck naked. And in a very sexual stance. She's forced in this sexual pose. And pretty much the cult is directing Michael Myers to have sex with her. To produce said inbred child. Steven. So we could have had that in this movie. (laughs) Which, talk about Uh, a major changing of the lanes for the Halloween franchise. Yeah. I I don't know. Is this something that you'd want to see? Like, would this have been something at least interesting or maybe not interesting, but like different, at least a risk that would have been novel? Uh, I don't know if. I want to ever see a movie where Michael Myers is implied to have sex. I don't know. Because as you said, there's so much to look into him. That's the kind of appeal of Michael Myers is that he is a kind of a pa- like a passionless shape that just only kills. I don't ever see him taking the time out to not kill anybody if he's going to be intimate, have any kind of intimacy with anybody. You know what I'm saying? Right. I don't see him having the patience to impregnate anybody. I mean, if he can't comprehend death or murdering somebody like what you were talking about in the first halloween film where he guts the guy and leaves him hanging and he just looks at him and i I believe you described it as the quizzical look of a dog Mm -hmm. how can somebody like that go into having sexual intercourse with somebody who he knows is like his sister or a family member yeah that's kind of a I mean, I get that, you know, it's a, supposed to be a horror movie and, like, disturbed, but I, I don't know if I want to be confronted with that, a kind of a disposable entertainment. Not to say that, you know, I, I don't know how to approach that. <laughs> I, I, I don't want to touch that at all. I don't want to even get close to it. I don't want to... <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know, Tim. <laughs> So check that out if you want to, <laughs> if you have any interest. There is one thing I wanted to point out about Halloween 6, which I noticed as I was watching it, but I, I found it was actually confirmed later. Because I, as I was watching it, I noticed that I was like, oh, these trees actually look like autumnal. It looks like leaves in the fall. Yeah. And apparently it was the only Halloween movie that was shot in uh, autumn. Really? And you can even see in the next movie, which immediately from the get-go, they're doing their damnedest to like, okay, no, this is the real sequel to uh, Halloween. And we'll get into that more, but uh, you see that like the trees are green, but there's leaves everywhere. <laughs> but in Halloween 6, the leaves are orange and red. It looks like the appropriate season, so I will give it that. Yeah, I mean, H2O takes place in California, doesn't it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Northern California or something. Which is where around where the first movie was actually shot. Right, yeah. Well, the first one was made in Pasadena. Why, did they make this in Pasadena? Let's see. Wikipedia again. It's funny. They don't even include that. Oh, well. So then we're going to move on a couple years to Halloween H2O, 20 years later, from 1998. So Halloween H2O, directed by Steve Miner. It was released on August 5th, 1998. 
With a budget of $17 million, it grossed $85 million bucks. It was a success. This movie was a success. And this is actually the first yeah. Halloween movie in quite some time that received generally positive reviews, it seemed like. People enjoyed it. I don't think it's a great movie, but definitely more entertaining than the last three movies combined, I think it's safe to say. And if I'm not mistaken, it seemed like the producers or the studio or somebody was trying to bring back both Deborah Hill and John Carpenter. Mm -hmm. And I, I think everything was set. John Carpenter, I don't think he was necessarily going to take on script writing duties or if he was going to go ahead and direct Robert Zappia and Matt Greenberg's script or not, but he opted out, or he necessarily didn't opt out doing the movie. The studio decided not to allow him to do the movie because he was asking for a lot of money because isn't it true that John Carpenter always felt like he never got paid the amount of money that he was owed for the first Halloween movie and right. all the residuals, I, I guess. Somewhere too. I think kind of a sticking point with him between him and a cod. Yeah. He, he should have, he should definitely, you know, for somebody who didn't get paid that much to begin with to make this movie. Um, it was a big part of its success, you know, didn't really see as much of the rewards as other people did. And it was pretty much Curtis. Jamie Lee Curtis really wanted to have some of the old cast and crew back together, reunited for this film. And I think that was kind of one of the reasons why she wanted to do this movie, because I, I don't know if it was a cod or somebody told her, like, oh, yeah, we're going to bring John back. If not as director, he'll be back as producer or in some form or fashion. Of course, that was not the case. Apparently, Halloween H2O was originally titled Halloween 7, The Revenge of Laurie Strode, which would have been annoying because... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that kind of makes it sound like she's out seeking the revenge when really she's just right. fighting for her. I mean, to be fair, she seeks revenge at the very, very end. Right. It's 1998 in a remote California town at a secluded private school. We could have a Halloween party, just the four of us. We could have a roaming orgy. I love the way this man thinks. No booze. No drugs, no kidding. One teacher is living in fear. I'm not who you think I am. I changed my name when I went into hiding. Terrible. Take off your clothes. My brother killed my sister. <laughs> How'd he do that? With a really big kitchen knife. That's enough. I can't take it, Mom. He's dead. It's been 20 years. What's he waiting for? Don't you think he would have shown up by now? Now. Come on! The face of good and the face of evil will meet one last time. But this time, it's going to be a fight to the finish. Terror won't be taking a vacation. Halloween H2O. It's Halloween. I guess everyone is entitled to one good scare. I've had my share. And the story takes place 20 years after the second film. Laurie Strode is all grown up. She has a child. She teaches at some prestigious private school in California. Her son goes there as well. 
I can feel it. Today is the day that you're going to realize that I'm 17 years old and your overprotection and paranoia is inhibiting my growth process. You want to go camping? I'll take you camping. I want to go with you. Sorry. Dad would let me go. Well, Dad is an abusive, chain-smoking, methadone addict. And who would attract someone like that? Ouch. And just think, he left you. Look, John. I know you get your smart mouth from my side of the family, so I'll give you a break. But point check, you're going too far. No, I'm going to Yosemite. No, you're not. The nurse, I forget the nurse's name, from the original film, Dr. Loomis's sidekick, who never returns until now, mm-hmm. Michael Myers breaks into her house, steals documents. I don't know why he waits until now, but he ends up finding her, goes through her documents, locates Laurie Strode's personal information, and goes on the hunt to kill her. This film not only stars Jamie Lee Curtis, but it also has Michelle Williams. Janet Lee has a bit part in this movie. Joseph Gordon-Levitt is one of the first guys who dies at the beginning of the movie. <laughs> yeah, it's um 4946 Cypress Pond. Okay, all right, thanks. I said to give him 15 minutes and they'll be by. Jimmy, where are you going? Check out your house? No, wait for the police. Where's the fun in that, huh? This is Josh Hartnett's very first film. And also, LL Cool J plays the other throwaway African-American character in a pulpy-esque summertime horror genre movie. Yeah. He turned just in time to see her enter the room with her long, slender legs. They climbed high up a skirt, leading to two tumultuous, round melon breasts. Round melon? What? Now, why do you want to label it like food? And what kind of melon you talking about? Cantaloupe, watermelon, what? Baby, it's fiction. People like to read descriptive adjectives. It sets the scene. It's stupid is what it is. It's sensual and romantic. This is serious. Honey, I've been patient, but this writing thing just ain't taking off. And I want a baby before I get so old, I can't get my butt back. You gotta give me a chance, honey. I have to express myself creatively. One thing I want to point out, though, is um, I, th- I thought it was really strange because, you know, in the opening scene, uh, JGL gets killed with the uh, ice skate to the face. And then he's credited, or his name pops up in the credits and says his name. Have you ever watched a movie that credited a character who just got killed off in the first four minutes before the credits happened? Like during the opening titles? Yeah, before the titles, the character was just killed in the opening titles and appears in the opening titles. I, You know, it's funny because whenever I was rewatching this movie, I was thinking about it and I know I've seen it before. I just cannot think of it's. I mean, if you think about like a James Bond movie, maybe. Uh huh. I think the only one I can think of is probably from Dust Till Dawn, where Michael Parks, I, I'm sure he gets credited in the opening credits. And the opening credits happen after he's mur- after he's killed at the liquor shop. Oh, that's interesting. I have to think about that. I need to, I need to think about that and write that shit down once I think about it. It's actually pretty good. But I, I remember watching this as a kid whenever it came out on VHS. And I'd go over to a friend's house or I'd catch it on Showtime. And I was freaked out by it as a kid. And I never really watched it because I knew with movies like this, this was, of course, my Halloween movie. Mm -hmm. I was still pretty young when The Curse of Michael Myers 
came out. And so this is when I was in June, was I in June? Maybe I think I was in junior high at this point. This was when that came out. This is the movie that all the kids talked about. This was the movie that all the kids wanted to go see, but they weren't allowed to because their parents wouldn't let them go see it. Yeah. And so I'd go over to a friend's house and they'd be watching it and I never got to see the whole thing. But then I remembered watching the opening scene where you see Joseph Gordon-Levitt with the ice skate in his, yeah. in his head. And then that creeped me out. I think that image gave me nightmares. And it's funny because watching it now, it's like, oh, okay. Well, I mean, that is one of the better post-kills I've seen in some of the latter Halloween movies so far. So it's not really frightening as it is just clever. And it's funny. It's good you bring that up because this is also... I saw. I think I saw this opening night. I think it was me and my sister and her boyfriend at the time, and they took me to go see it. And so this was the first Halloween movie I watched the whole way through. And I, I was about 13, I think. Oh, really? Yeah, I definitely had seen the Scream movies, and um, I don't think I've ever watched all of I Know What You Did last summer. But yeah, I was totally like on board with seeing like a new Halloween movie. But I was more in the kind of the Freddy Krueger camp in terms of like you know. 80s horror movie villains but uh i was i was still really excited to see this one i remember being in line back when you had to wait in lines to go see movies so you can actually get a good seat yeah i think i was waiting in line to go see titanic i'm pretty sure it was titanic and this poster was up in the in the marquee they're at the the woodland cinemark theater mm, tinseltown in yeah. tinseltown yeah and i'm pretty sure that's my one vivid memory of just staring at this poster going god that'd be cool to go see it oh my god that's where i saw it oh my god i saw it at woodlands tinseltown memories nostalgia <laughs> and memories <laughs> so the story of halloween h2o 20 years later already mentioned this laurie strode has a son she teaches at this prestigious private college in california Michael breaks into that nurse's house, finds her documents, and then he goes off to terrorize her. So the movie follows pretty much the same structure of the first Halloween movie, where it's all about establishing the characters so that you actually care about them, and you get a sense of what these characters are going through in this specific time and place, I suppose. Right. We know that Laurie is still haunted by the events that took place 20 years earlier. She has her own demons as a result of that. But yet she's finally in the process of getting past all that, where she is now dating one of her fellow professors, I guess, at this school. And it's not until the final 30 minutes of the movie when Michael Myers actually shows up and begins terrorizing. I think I clocked it. Like, aside from the opening kill, we don't see Michael Myers kill anybody until about the 60 minute mark and there's only about 29 minutes left of the movie right it's a very short movie yeah yeah very short without credits it's less than 85 minutes but what did you think about that do you did you think it was smart not only for this movie to go back and disregard all the other movies after halloween 2 but also kind of follow the same i guess you could call it remake structure where it's like a soft reboot, I should say, right, yeah. without being a reboot. And it's kind of funny. One thing I noticed is at the very beginning, we open where literally the second one ends, where we hear Mr. Sandman. Like, it's literally the same song starts off the movie. So 
if you wanted to get English major about it, you could say that the other movies are disregarded as a dream. The other movies didn't happen. I also think about the news I read today about the the quote-unquote third Terminator movie that's in production right now. Right. And the director, uh, Tim Miller, I think it's Tim Miller, the director of Deadpool, said that uh, the last three movies were just a bad dream. And so this movie kind of bends over backwards in a lot of regards to kind of pay, you know, to kind of paint itself as Halloween 3. Even to the sense of it's it's in that kind of anamorphic wide aspect ratio. It's in the correct aspect ratio of a Halloween movie. Whereas the other ones are, you know, in the 1.78 to 1 or the kind of like a, a 16 by 9 kind of frame. Like this is kind of, and even like the opening titles are in, I don't know if they're in the exact same kind of font that Halloween had or a similar font but uh but yeah they're in like a similar font so it's kind of bending over backwards to be like okay this is a true sequel and do you think it succeeded I don't know if it succeeds but it definitely especially things like you know Michael Myers not killing anybody until almost an hour in like I, I appreciate that I admi- you know I admire them going to great lengths to be like okay we're gonna do our best to kind of recapture what made you know, the first Halloween special. And I don't know, I don't think it fully succeeds. I think it's fine. I don't think it's a terrible movie. I think out of a lot of the sequels, it's probably the more solid. But it doesn't really, you know, I I would say even, even at the end, where it just kind of, it boom, it ends, like right after she cuts off Michael Myers' head. And it doesn't, you know take the time to kind of let that moment breathe or anything. On paper, it does what you what you would want this kind of movie to do, like what you think it should do. I don't, I don't know if I buy Laurie Strode as like a, an ex-addict or this kind of character subterfuge that they kind of give her throughout the movie. I think it's enough that, you know, she survived this incident where they kind of kind of paint these kind of darker shades to her throughout or just kind of like, you know, casually mention them. Or The movie builds to the final showdown between the two of them. She doesn't kill him, per se. You have an idea that maybe she did kill him. The paramedics and the police show up. Lori is taken away. They put Michael in a body bag. And as they're loading him into the ambulance, Lori breaks away. And she knows. She knows from the first, her experience from the first movie that she has to make sure he's dead. She hijacks the ambulance with Michael in the back. Of course, he starts moving. He's alive. And she drives the ambulance off the side <laughs> of a cliff. <laughs> she At first, she like breaks and knocks him out of the car with him flying through the windshield. Then runs him, runs him over and knocks him off of a cliff and fall, t- tumbles with him as the, the 
Van is tumbling on top of him. Oh, that's right. And that's how it pins him against that tree or whatever. It pins him against something. Mm -hmm. And she carries out, I guess, what she was destined to do from the very beginning is chop off his head with an axe. With one fell swoop. I mean, there's not any gore, really, in fact. This movie doesn't have a lot of blood or gore in it, surprisingly. At least nothing that really stood out or stands out in my mind right now. It's got a little, but it definitely, definitely reserves it. I think she more so lops his head off than chops his head off. It just kind of pops off like a like a top. Yeah. And that's the end of the movie. She kills Michael Myers. Part of the reason that Jamie Lee Curtis has stated that she wanted to make the movie is to just kill him, to just get it over with. And if you chop his head off, he's dead. He's gone. You know, there's no coming back from that. But I don't know if you want to wait or not to get into this, but uh, there is actually was a clause in the contract that she pointed out that she neglected to see when she signed on that says that uh, Michael Myers can never die. What? That would piss me <laughs> off. Yeah. God, what a cheap stab in the back. Now, before we dive into the classic that is Halloween Resurrection, is there anything else you wanted to mention about H2O? I think, yeah, I, I definitely think it's really important to talk about the Dimension Films and Kevin Williamson era of horror in the 1990s and how Michael Myers being kind of a pliable boogeyman, they tried to shoehorn him into this teen scream phase. You know, they weren't making Freddy Krueger movies and they weren't making Friday the 13th movies, but they were like, well, let's try to make Halloween fit into this post-scream horror craze. Kevin Williamson, you know, who wrote Scream and Scream 2 and I Know You Did Last Summer, he wrote the screenplay to I Know You Did Last Summer, obviously had a partnership with Dimension. He did play an instrumental part in Halloween H2O, and uh, I believe he's credited as a co-executive producer, but he did rewrites for, you know, the teen dialogue, and if you watch the movie, it clearly ties in with the kind of Kevin Williamson really flat but also kind of dark kind of aesthetic of you know young kids and designer clothes designer clothes as in the sponsored by american eagle outfitter costumes that we will eventually see in resurrection right it also uh this ties in with the kevin williamson thing but it's the reason i think of it because when i think about horror movies from the 80s there's the product placement of like Pepsi and Coke and stuff in these movies. So it's very much stuff kids are eating or stuff kids are drinking. But I, I don't know if you remember this, but there was a TV commercial for Tommy Hilfiger for the faculty where the really? entire cast of the faculty. Yeah, the entire you can find it on YouTube. The entire cast of the faculty, which was written by Kevin Williamson and was also a Dimension movie. They're all talking about how they love Tommy Hilfiger, and that's all they wear. And it's like Clea Duvall, it's Josh Hartnett, Jordana Brewster, Elijah Wood, everybody in the faculty. Yeah, so it's weird to think, you know, all these movies are kind of geared towards what teens are buying or what they want teens to start buying. Yeah, I don't know, I just thought that was just like a neat little thing to bring up. Which, also, side note, I, I think of all the Kevin Williamson movies, I think The Faculty is probably my favorite. It's a good movie, because it also yeah. that also feels like a B-movie. Yeah. It's a monster movie. It's an alien mm -hmm. invasion movie. Yeah. It has a lot of the same qualities that I liked about 
Halloween 3, you know, where I said it was, it felt like an invasion of the body snatchers scenario where nobody quite believes you, but you're seeing all this horrific stuff play out. And it's also doing that thing of what Kevin Williamson did for Scream was, you know, Wes Craven's kind of hinting at the meta-ness of a new nightmare, but he's flat out being like, okay, these kids, these are the kids who grew up on Freddy and Michael Myers and Jason, and they're going to try to emulate it. So their point of reference is, you know, movies, you know, that's their influence. The faculty also, but does that with sci-fi movies, does that with, you know, alien invasion movies, even though the aliens didn't get that idea to start killing people from movies, but that's how kids reconcile what's happening around them. Also, another thing I wanted to make sure to bring up that frustrated the fuck out of me when I watched Halloween H2O because of the implications uh, speaking of referencing these movies and being shaped by these movies, there's a scene in the dorm room, and I don't think it's because it's with Sarah Michelle Gellar, and she was in Screen 2. She was like the preppy sorority girl. So there's that scene where um, on the TV in uh, Jodie Lynn O'Keefe's room, it's from Screen 2, and it's like, do you like scary movies or whatever? Sarah? Molly? Just checking on the Hillcrest remains. You girls okay? Good. Thanks, Mr. Brennan. And how are you, Mr. Brennan? Looking cute as ever. Thank you, Sarah. What are you two up to tonight? Well, we thought we'd hit the town, pick up some guys, you know, drop some roofies in their drinks, have a whole date rape evening. Huh. Sounds good. Care to join us? I can't. I'm, uh, I'm having my nipples pierced. Oh. But you two have a good time. And so you have to to then make the assumption that in the Halloween world, Scream is a movie. The Scream series is a movie that they see, whereas in the Scream universe, Halloween is clearly a movie that they know and reference. The implications of that fucked with me. <laughs> that I had to pause the movie to be like, how did they know about Laurie Strode in this existence and she's in that one, though? But Michael Myers exists as a character but Michael Myers exists as a real person, but they're watching this movie that is meta-referencing this character that exists in reality, but can't possibly exist in this fake reality. Mind explosion. <laughs> <laughs> I'd be surprised if there wasn't one person... Who has this thought out, yeah. Yeah, well, like, in, in the creative think tank who was like, hold on a second. <laughs> and said that exact same thing and got punched in the face because you they, they made a suit think way too much. And yeah. it was just not worth it. <laughs> yeah. But that is pretty funny. But really, I just, I did not think of all of these marketing ploys used in this series of movies. Or, I mean, at least in, in H2O. It's it's funny. And I think that also goes on to prove, I, I guess, how much a sign of the times these two movies actually are or were. Especially Resurrection. Deckard never believe what I got myself into. Deckard? Who's Deckard? Oh, it's my screen name. Sarah needs some uh, tech support setting up her offline reader, so I, uh... You told her you're a graduate student? Graduate of what, junior high? Look, shut up, all right? We talk like every day. I don't know. It's, it's kind of like we're dating. She's never even seen you. And Yahoo chat rooms do not count. Yes, they do count. Did you know in the old days, knights used to spend their entire lives courting ladies that they would never even touch? They would just like, you know, send each other sonnets and stuff. 
Yeah, that's before internet porn, man. Let's now journey to Halloween Resurrection, which I don't know about you. I kind of enjoyed watching this movie. Oof, not me. Not not you. <laughs> no. I I mean, it might have been a good case of beer I was drinking while watching this one. I don't. <laughs> Tomorrow night, you will enter the childhood home of our most brutal mass murderer. Are you sure they're not just putting us in some house with hidden cameras in the shower? This is gonna be fun. The windows will be boarded up and all the doors will be locked shut behind them. No one will be allowed to leave until the show is over. Let the danger-tainment begin! You think this is the one that he used to, you know, do his thing? One flash and you could light up a thousand computer screens. You are like this close to getting voted off the island. Wait, what just happened? We just lost Bill's camera. There's somebody in the hall. Michael's here! How many please help us? Hello, Michael. I knew you'd come sooner or later. What took you so long? This one was directed by Rick Rosenthal. The director of... Halloween 2. With a budget of $13 million, it grossed $37.6 million. This, too, was distributed by Dimension Films. It was released on July 12, 2002. Oh, what a what a very Halloween-y time of the year. On the poster of H2O, it says... The, the tagline for H2O, since it came out in October, was... This summer, terror won't be taking a vacation. Oh, dear. <laughs> and... For resurrection, it's evil finds its way home. What Harry mentioned a moment ago, that's pretty much the backstory of this film. They were always going to make another one if the last one is successful. It's a franchise. Franchises never die. They just take breaks. And Jamie Lee Curtis had to come back because Michael Myers (laughs) doesn't die. So... They concocted. What, what did they do? What 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 was their ingenious concoction to bring Michael Myers back? I was I actually kind of applauded this when I watched it. I was pretty happy with it. I thought it was pretty clever. We see flashbacks of the previous movie as she is about to lop off Michael Myers's head, and we see flashbacks to that moment where Michael Myers is. Uh, the first responder that uh, arrives on the scene, Michael Myers knocks him out and puts the mask on him. And so as we're, the movie's opening, you're like, why is she like, you know, in an insane asylum? Why, you know, she was defending herself from Michael Myers, obviously. In fact, she wasn't. The person whose head she lopped off was the uh, first responder or paramedic who was just some poor fool who Michael Myers crushed his larynx so he couldn't talk and he couldn't explain himself. And he was in the Michael Myers jumper and mask. And he fell off the cliff and he had his head chopped off. Which raises the question, was he not able to remove the mask? (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) it's true. Jamie Lee Curtis dies not long after this movie begins. It's incredibly cheap. I'll see you in hell. It opens in that asylum correctional facility, whatever place she's at. You have the nurses that are at her aid, giving her her pills that are 
providing the audience with so much exposition, detailed exposition, so everybody who sit who paid money to watch this movie fully understands why they are sitting there and paid that money to watch Halloween three years ago. Twenty years after the first murders, her brother finally found her. Tracked her down to the school where she was working. There were several murders. Lots of confusion. Oh my god. She killed the wrong person. Father of three. Well, why didn't paramedics say something? His larynx had been crushed. Don't let on you know. Hello, Miss Strode. Uh, did you enjoy your dinner? She hasn't said a word in years. Extreme dissociative disorder. The doctor thinks she's a suicide threat. They found her up on the roof more than once. Must be the guilt. No, she doesn't stare out that window. God knows what she sees out there. And she dies. She ends up falling to her death. I just, you know, it's... (laughs) What gets me is that they didn't even decide to pull a Janet Lee with this film. They don't even give Jamie Lee Curtis top billing. She's featured prominently on the poster. And if they just kept her in the movie for another maybe 10 minutes, gave her top billing, and did something more with her character, I think it would have been a little bit, maybe a little bit more justified. Like, let the backstory played out a little bit. So once you find out exactly what happened... Bam, you know, that's that's the shock. And that's right. when she, that's when Michael Myers shows up and gets her. I think that would have been pretty cool, but that doesn't happen. Instead, we have a movie about high school kids. And these high school kids <laughs> are recruited by Buster Rhymes. Trick or treat, motherfucker. Who is this online internet reality TV show entrepreneur for a lack of a better description character description for him he recruits these young kids these young sexualized kids except one you have the one female who is into books who's into this one younger boy who's not into screwing around and she wants to respect the history and all that stuff she doesn't want to get screwed over and ultimately she is your typical final girl so what are you doing here it's late i'm dropping out what? I'm sorry. It's just I'm so freaked out. I can't even sleep. Slow down. Slow down. What's the problem? I mean, can't you see? I'm I'm not like the others. I know you're not like the others. You know you're not like the others. The others ain't nothing but a bunch of smart-ass, wise-cracking, posing wannabes. You are the real deal. Every existing element about you is what the internet audience really wants. I don't want to be famous. What do you mean you don't want to be famous? That's the American dream. I think I'm just scared. It's okay to be scared, you know. Being scared is good. Fear is good. Fear motivates. Fear gives you the feeling of being alive. Fear makes me want to throw up. Trust me, please. When it's all said and done, at the end of the day, you'd be surprised at how much you surprise yourself. Look, I'm sorry to bother you. I just... It's okay. Just do me a favor. Sleep on it. Talk about it tomorrow. Leave a sweater tonight, man. Take your tail on out of here. Go to bed. Oh, Freddy boy. 
damn, you good. Shit you come up with off the top of your head, boy. Why don't you just pat yourself on the back? So he recruits all these kids to go spend a night, Halloween night, in the old Myers home, the old dilapidated Myers home. Okay, everybody, listen up. Now I'd like to start off by saying the home that you will be entering tonight has been rigged up with several cameras, but for the most part, the audience will see only what you see. See these cameras right here? I kind of like these cameras. They can pretty much be clipped onto anything. No hat shirt collar, your coat collar. The viewers can pretty much control what they want to watch. Switch around from camera to camera, depending on what seems to be the most intriguing to them. So if you guys want to be stars for the night, I suggest you do something that is very interesting so that it's worth the while of the viewers to want to keep their cameras on you. And this is, of course, a direct sequel to Halloween H2O, which, of course, was a direct sequel to Halloween 2. And they're in the house. One by one, they get killed. Not only is Busta Rhymes in this movie. Trick or treat, motherfucker. But Tyra Banks is in this movie. Hey, Orson Welles, pick a placement and move on. Look, low angles, scary. High angles, scary. Medium angles. But you learned that shooting all those weddings and bar mitzvahs. Hey, hey. I went to Long Beach State. Same as Spielberg. Look, Charlie, we're on a schedule here, okay? Just tell Max to rig a camera in the sister's room, all right? Max is back at the hotel helping Freddie. Okay. And even Katie Sackoff of Battlestar Galactica as well. And she plays... I, man, we, got, we have double the skanky teen girl in this movie. I think they ran out of character tropes. Chat room romance? He's just a friend. He's probably 50 and bald with a bad toupee. Jen. He probably collects human skin. And it's shot, a lot of it is shot with these body cameras. They're all suited out with these body cameras. There, there's all the surveillance equipment throughout the house so that those who are watching this live streaming on the internet can see what is all happening. It's really strange because it feels like it's a Halloween short followed by a movie that was probably written about something else and they decided to just go ahead and use Michael Myers as the boogeyman. Because you have that opening shot, which is that, that opening kind of short with uh, where Michael finally kills Laurie Strode. And that's within what? nine minutes eight minutes or something and then you have this completely unrelated story that i guess kind of harkens back to the you know the what i liked about the original which was that we don't know michael myers and laurie strode are related he's just going back to his house and he goes back to his house and he sees people at his house and he kills these people that are at his house but because we have all this kind of subterfuge of the Myers curse and Laurie and the Strodes and uh, Jamie Lloyd, all this stuff, we're kind of conditioned to expect these kind of legacy characters or these names to come back in. And at the very least, I can admire that it kind of tries to go back to this is the boogeyman and he's killing these people, regardless of the sense that I, you know, I, this is my absolute least favorite of all of the movies. Is it because this screams 
2000s millennial <laughs> movie. Yeah. I mean, it's clearly made for MTV. It was clearly made to have its network premiere on, on MTV. Was this Tyra Preen next top model? Yes. Okay. I guess Nick's top model was big probably about two years later. And Tyra Banks looks exactly the same as she did, as she does in this movie. It's crazy. No, there was this firebird parked right in front of the house, like just totally about to ruin the establishing shot. But I called a tow truck. Yep, it's on its way. Alrighty. Look at you, Charlie. So this movie continues along. You don't know too much about Michael. He is still this mystical character. But then they ruin all that by showing you where he lives. And apparently underneath the Myers home, or around the Myers home, I guess, there are a series of tunnels, of underground tunnels. And and dungeons and... uh... Yeah, like, (laughs) I was waiting for the the Celtic cult to make another appearance or something. Because... Because it's weird, like, where he sleep, like, you see where he lives, and it's hokey, very much like in one of the Friday the 13th movies, where you see where Jason lives, where it's just like, it's a little creepy, it's a little weird, and it's strange. They ran out of ideas. Well, it goes to show, with this series, with this story, the first movie works because it's simple, straightforward, technically, it was well put together and well shot the second movie works because it was a direct continuation of that same night nobody knew or nobody had any idea of this michael myers character wearing a mask running around terrorizing people people just thought something horrible was happening just it was a serial killer running amok or whatever and it worked because there wasn't that michael myers awareness amongst these people With this movie, it's as meta as it can get without actually being meta. Busta Rhymes dresses up as Michael Myers to freak these kids out so that there's actual content that people will watch whenever they're streaming this show. And then he encounters Michael Myers, who doesn't do anything to him because Michael Myers is confused why as to why there's another... Michael Myers in front of him. Oh shit, man! Charlie, where the fuck you been at, man? Don't you know we've been looking all over this motherfucker for you? And why the hell you dressed like me anyway? I ain't telling you to be Michael Myers. I'm playing Michael Myers. If them kids come around and see us dressed up in the same shit, you're gonna ruin the whole effect. Ah, damn it! The hell is wrong with you? I said, what you looking at me like that for? Huh? You don't get it? You don't get it? Your shit ain't working up there or something? You need to take your ass in the back of the garage with Nora. That's your job. Go back there with Nora and help her ass out. Go do your job. I left the back door unlocked for your ass to go out the back into the garage. That's what I did. You need to get the hell out of here. Go ahead, scoop. Skedaddle. Get the fuck out of Dodge. Stuff like that. And there's only so much you can do within a house that only has three bedrooms, you know? (laughs) 
It's like the Psycho House. The Psycho House really isn't that large. Therefore, a lot of the horror elements that takes place within the Psycho House, they're not really that long. They don't spend a lot of time running around the house or anything like that. Which is why they had to show you the tunnels and the dungeons and the lair of Michael Myers. And it's sad to say that I enjoyed watching this, and I think it was because of how bad it was. I don't know how I feel about that, really. <laughs> Again, I think it was the beer. I'm going to blame it on the yeah. beer. <laughs> it just it reeks of that kind of like a early 2000s desperation to like appeal to young audiences. What are young audiences like? Okay, they seem to like the internet, so let's throw that in there. It constantly has Busta Rhymes heavy-handedly, qui- not just quipping, but like heavy-handedly explaining what the movie, some kind of philosophical thing the movie's supposed to be about dealing with reality tv and the internet and we have these kids that are watching it and being like oh that looks so fake and whatever what the fuck are you doing yeah man hit me like I murdered your fucking mother or something. Relax, man. I'm only trying to give America a good show. Okay, so none of this shit is real, right? Like, the the, the furniture, the, the photos, all the fucked up toys. It's all fake. We've been set up. You knew you didn't have a show anyone would watch, so you set us all up at our fucking expense, huh? What expense are you talking about? You ain't contributed down to setting up none of this shit. Besides, don't nobody want to see any of y'all running around no empty house possibly coming up with nothing any damn way. America don't like reality, first of all. Second of all, they think this shit is boring. You know what I mean? They want the little, little, little razzle-dazzle, little pizzazz, little thrill in their life. You know what I mean? And us being the ones that give it to them, I don't see nothing wrong with that. I so did not sign up for this. Y'all need to do me a favor, all right? Just go along with this shit. Don't blow it. Not now. You really have no idea of how nicely I work things out that we all can receive somewhat of a robust back end when the shit is all over. You also have Michael Myers uh, being destroyed by wires. Uh, you could see that as like in this like internet age or something. In Hollywood movies, they have to have a physical manifestation of you know the internet, which you know wires or technology is blowing him up in the house. Yeah, he, he's tangled in these actual like wires that are you know to this video feed. And that's what ultimately does him in, you know. The MTV generation, Michael Myers isn't interesting anymore. You have kids saying, like, oh, that looks fake. Oh, she's not really dead. Whatever. Uh, that was so fake. No, no, wait, wait, you guys, that, that really just happened. She was just killed. <laughs> but really, when it comes down to it, there's one thing that can sum up this movie... And it's a credit at the end of this film where the credit pertains to the costumes. And it says, wardrobe provided by American Eagle Outfitters. So (laughs) if you've never seen this movie, picture American Eagle Outfitters in the year 2002. And picture every single character wearing clothing from American Eagle (laughs) and how those people acted 
not only in your personal lives, if you're in high school at the time, think of those guys or gals, but think of how people wearing that clothing in movies at that time were portrayed. And that's what you'll get with this film, just within the context of a Halloween movie. As a side note, though, did you notice the Peeping Tom kill where Michael has the camera tripod and he stabs <laughs> the guy with the camera tripod with the camera watching it? No, I didn't catch or filming that. filming it? Really? Oh, man, no. it was straight from Peeping Tom. <laughs> it's funny. This one, despite being made with $13 million, grossed $37.6 million, made a little bit of money, but... It was so bad, it killed the franchise, and it took Rob Zombie to remake Halloween some years later, five years later, and then ultimately kill the franchise again two years later with his remake of Halloween 2. But that's for another time and another episode. And another co-host. And another co-host. <laughs> that I, is will true. Be, I will be sitting that one out. Yeah. So as a whole... Did you enjoy going back and watching the ones you've never seen before and revisiting the ones that you have seen? Um, to an extent, I don't know if, I mean, obviously I enjoyed watching them all. I always enjoy watching like a giant horror franchise filling in like, okay, yeah, the stuff that I thought I had seen when I was a kid and then actually like taking the time to rewatch it and especially watching something like Halloween H2O almost 20 years later, which I don't, I don't think I've seen I hadn't seen Halloween H2O since I saw it opening night. But yeah, I don't know if I would have as much fun if, say, like I was rewatching the Nightmare on Elm Street series or the Friday the 13th series or Sleepaway Camp or, you know, any other kind of series. But I, I admire the legacy building. I admire, even though it doesn't work and it's awkward, the keeping it in this kind of family that it tries to do. And to try to make some kind of, I'm trying to think of a way to put it, make it some kind of a saga, in a sense, even though that was not the intention of the original movie, and that's clearly why the original movie is the best one, and it still is the best one. And after watching Halloween Resurrection, do you think it would even be, or it would have been even worth continuing the series? The classic series, I guess we'll call it? You mean instead of rebooting it? Correct. Absolutely. <laughs> I... I wish this would go on forever, <laughs> regardless of like you know how fun it is or whatever. I just I love it when these kind of horror franchises just keep going, and I don't know why I love it, <laughs> but it's kind of like a Stockholm syndrome type thing where I want to see. And it was kind of really exciting to see like okay, especially not watching all of these movies. Like okay, I know he comes back, but how does he come back? And seeing like whatever way that they bent over backwards to make sure Michael Myers came back. I'll give them credit for how they handled bringing Michael back, especially for Resurrection, because it could have been so hammy, like in that one Friday the 13th where Jason is buried, and I forget what it is. I, there's like a rod or something in his grave, and lightning strikes it, and that <laughs> lightning resurrects Jason. It's like a shovel. I can't remember what it is, but uh, it was yeah. it was like Frankenstein, and he was resurrected into the mo as a monster. And that <laughs> specific installment of the Friday the Thirteenth series was a monster movie, which yeah. made it intriguing in, in its own way. But but then again, I guess that's what I what I give credit towards the Jason movies and right. even the Freddy Krueger movies is that they were actually trying to do something different 
with those films. So would you have rather have seen more Michael Myers movies opposed to an anthology set of movies or series of movies like they were wanting to do with Season of the Witch? Yeah, I don't know. I don't, especially having like watched this or having watched this whole series, I mean, it would have been nice. It would have been neat to have more Carpenter-related... The Fog could have been a Halloween movie, you know? It easily could have been a Halloween movie. Almost midnight. Enough time for one more story. One more story before 12. Just to keep us warm. In five minutes... 21st of April. 100 years ago, on the 21st of April, out in the waters around Spivey Point, a small clipper ship drew toward land. Suddenly, out of the night, the fog rolled in. For a moment, they could see nothing, not a foot ahead of them. And then, saw a light. By God, it was a fire burning on the shore, strong enough to penetrate the swirling mist. They steered a course toward the light, but it was a campfire like this one. But I, I still think John Carpenter got to make these kind of horror movies in the, the vein that we were like, oh yeah, that could have been pigeonholes in this anthology thing. So maybe we didn't really lose anything. He's just such a great looking character. He's like just such an iconic character that you want to see. You know, he's, he's kind of like the, the perfect kind of, you know, boogeyman. Whose face and hair changes throughout every single movie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sometimes you see the bottom of the mask. Sometimes his hair looks like Wanda Sykes hair. You know, it, it changes. It changes. Last set of questions for you, Harry. We're in the the question round. To you, what makes for a great Halloween movie? Not necessarily from the franchise, but just any movie that takes place around Halloween time. The same kind of thing could be applied to a lot of other genre movies. Like, what makes for a good Christmas movie? But what makes for a good Halloween movie? I don't know. I mean, I could tell you what makes a good Michael Myers movie. I can give you, like, a bullet point list of what makes a... a good Michael Myers movie, or what you would want out of one. Ooh, go for it. Uh, <laughs> fuck, I didn't make a bullet list. <laughs> but uh, definitely a car explosion at some point, inexplicably. Mistaken identity of somebody dressed just like Michael Myers for no reason. Michael getting hit by a car. That's always good. There's a whole bunch of them. Somebody getting pushed against something sharp. You kind of need that. Fuck, I really wish I'd written this down beforehand. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to think, like, Michael being, like, held down by something. And then vanishing? Yeah, or being held down by chains or being locked up or in chains and somehow getting out of it. I guess what's terrifying about Halloween, is when you think about the holiday itself and, you know, the idea of, like, trick-or-treating, you open your door up to somebody who is in disguise. Yeah, let's 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 reward people for showing up to our house we don't know them they're strangers and even though they're strangers they are in disguise just the notion of that is rife with possibility for you know horror or horror movies anyway i mean i i know that when it comes around time for like you know halloween which are like rewatch movies i, t I tend to go more supernatural 
and especially like Stephen Kingy type movies or Friday the Thirteenth movies or Nightmare on Elm Street, where they're kind of more supernatural. Because I don't, I don't want to face the fact. I could mean, don't want to face the fact that somebody could be stalking me on Halloween. That is an unkillable force, but is also a human that is just really strong. I'd rather think of like bleeding walls and stuff like that, because <laughs> <laughs> that that's not you know that's not something that's going to happen. Your closet leading to another dimension of yeah. hell or something like that. Yeah, we're here talking about you know it's the it's the ending of the original series of Halloween flicks, but it was just announced that next year we're going to be getting another installment of classic Halloween. With Jamie Lee Curtis returning, John Carpenter is producing, maybe doing the music, but this is this is going to be the true, the true sequel to <laughs> Halloween Two. Are they going to call it H four O? H four O. God, if they do that, because the tentative title is now is, is just Halloween. It's only Halloween. So, uh-huh. God, if they do H four O, and it's through Bloomhouse, who is the big, it's the Dimension Films of today in a sense. Right, that's true. And yeah. we all know that if this movie does incredibly well, they're going to keep making them. Yeah. And you just kind of wonder, like, is it a point? I, I just hope Jamie Lee Curtis read her contract yeah. <laughs> closely. <laughs> well, I think that wraps things up, Harry. I, I hope you had fun going back and revisiting these movies and overly talking about them for... <laughs> four plus hours well what's great is that they're not very long they're each under like a buck 30 so they're pretty easy to go through and normally if you get too bored you can multitask until you get to halloween six when they just start throwing new backstory at you i guess oh that's that's one thing i want to bring up that i thought was kind of funny because in halloween resurrection um the big point is that like the reason that Nobody see with all these cameras. Nobody sees that Michael Myers is killing people already. Is because Tyra Banks is always making a drink and has her back to the monitors, and so she never sees it. And as I was watching Halloween Resurrection, I got to the end, and I was like looking at my phone and looking at other stuff. I was like, okay, yeah, people are getting killed. And there's that callback to Halloween Two, also directed by uh, the same director as Halloween Resurrection, where the lead actress slips on blood. And I was just like, oh, yeah, that's a callback to that. And I think I went to my phone notes and just wrote something down. And I got to the movie and I was like, what happened to Tyra Banks? Did they just forget about Tyra Banks? And I had to rewind it. And I realized she had died as I was looking away from the TV. Much in the same way Tyra Banks had treated all the other characters who had died under her watch. Just didn't give a crap. Yeah, just was did not care. Do you actually see her die? You don't see her die. No, she's just, she's hanging in the rafters. Like, she's bled out. That's right, that's, yeah. She slips on the blood, and we go, and she goes in that room and looks up, and Tyra's just hanging. I was about to say, I don't remember seeing her dying, so I, I maybe I was doing the same thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, man. Well, thank you, Harry. I, again, hope you got something educational out of this. Maybe not watching these again for a very long time. Well, I mean, I paid, I don't know, like 50 bucks for the whole set, so I'm definitely going to be re-watching some of them. More with commentary. I'll de- I'm de- I mean, I'm definitely going to wear the hell out of the, the first Halloween Blu-ray and Halloween 3. I'll definitely be watching those a lot. Excuse me. No more cameras. Entertainment is off the head. I'll just show some respect. Mr. Harris, would you like to make a statement? What can you tell us about Michael Myers? 
Michael Myers is not a soundbite, a spinoff, tie-in, some kind of celebrity scandal. Michael Myers is a killer shark baggy-ass overalls and gets kicks off of killing everything and everyone that he comes across. That's all. I'm done dancing for these cameras. Let's get out of here, Sarah. But how are you feeling right now? Feeling now. You wanna know how I'm feeling right now? Feel this. Come back next week for the conclusion of our Halloween movie series discussion, covering Rob Zombie's 2007 Halloween remake and his 2009 sequel, Halloween 2. We hope you tune in. The music for our show is brought to you by Kevin McLeod from Incompetech.com. That's I-N-C-O-M-P-E-T-E-C-H dot com. Shaving Mirror and Hustle are the song titles used on the program. Our special guest again was Harry J. Perales from the Unauthorized Cinnamon Podcast, which you can find over on the Mockingbird Network. Just search Unauthorized Cinnamon at www.mockingbirdnetwork.com. Since Heirs of Continuity is a podcast presented by the SLS Cast, you can find our show over at slscast.com, on Twitter at the SLS Cast. Take care, cinephiles. We'll talk at you again next week.